Morning. How are you? Hey, you look good. You got that going for you. My name is, uh, we're not even going to go there. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. What a privilege to have you with us today. Uh, you haven't entered a cafeteria. It's going to be okay. Everybody take a deep breath. This is still the church, and uh, we're going to enjoy some time talking together in just a little bit. But we have been in a series called Doctrine. Doctrine is so important for us. Uh, last week we talked about the doctrine of creation and how it doesn't only uh, affect what we know about God, but it affects how we live, what our identity is. We talked about the fact that God not only created the earth, the planets, the universe, and everything in it, but he, he created us, man and, and woman, right? He created us equally, yet uniquely. So each of us have roles and things that God wants us to accomplish as part of his plan for this earth. We talked about the fact that we're created in God's image in our relational connectivity to God and to each other. Uh, we talked about the fact that God in his goodness and his kindness made a way for our eternity through Jesus, right? Praise God for that. And today we're going to talk about the doctrine of the fall of man or the doctrine of sin. Uh, we're going to get into that today. I want you to do a little exercise for me. Everybody close your eyes. This is not an extended exercise, by the way, okay? So just close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. You're going to use the most powerful tool of visual uh, art there is, and that is your mind. I want you to think about the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful, wonderful place you can imagine. What did it sound like? What did it smell like? What are the images that are coming to your heart? And if you can even take a, a breath in the beauty of what you see in your heart and in your mind, imagine hearing someone walking. And it's the Lord, and he's coming to spend time with you. Can you imagine? Okay, now everybody look right here. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to get an air horn and wake you all up in a very rude way. You know, it's going to be one of those deals. Because I wanted you to feel the disruption. I wanted you to feel the awakening of something that didn't fit. It wasn't right. And what that is, is sin. And when it entered the garden, it was a devastating reality, not just for Adam and Eve, but also for us. Of course, we know one of the characters in the garden besides Adam and Eve is the serpent, right? The very first three words in Genesis 1 say, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But I also want you to know that that beginning that is spoken of in Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of the earth and the beginning of humanity, but it's not the beginning of everything. I want you to know a little bit of Satan, the serpent. I want you to know a little bit of his background. Uh, he lived before the beginning in Genesis 1, all right? So I want to see if you have your Bibles, let's turn over Ezekiel 28, verse 12. And uh, this is sort of a, a prophetic allegory. And this gives us some insight on who Lucifer was before he was Satan, before he was cast down to the earth. Let's get a sense of who he was and what he was about, okay? Ezekiel 28, 12 says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, 
onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, notice that, Satan is a created being. Notice that, okay? On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you where, uh, where on the holy mountain of God. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and, uh, and in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. So it just gives us a little bit of backstory for uh, Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was powerful. He was sinless. He had unbelievable splendor and power. I also want you to see that Isaiah talks a little bit about what was going on internally, though, in Lucifer. Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So even though he's beautiful, it went to his head. He, he, was, he was gorgeous. He was powerful. He was influential, obviously. And he, he took it seriously about himself. So much so that he decided he could go against God. In fact, he decided to rebel against God, not just in his heart, not just in pride. Satan literally started a war in heaven, a battle. John tells us about it in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, 7 through 9. As his heart fills with pride, look what it says. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. This is the serpent in the garden, right? That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is important for us to get a little sense of the backstory of where Satan came from. He was a created being. He was beautiful, but it went to his head and it went to his heart. He sinned in his heart. Sin didn't start in the garden. It started in heaven, in Satan's heart. See, the thing about Satan and the angels is they're volitional creatures. That means they have a will. They can choose to obey. They can choose to not obey. And Satan chose to find his own way and not obey. He wanted, it says, to be like God. He wanted to literally be God himself. It's a very dangerous thing when you make that decision. So dejected and defeated and hell-bent literally on revenge, he's cast down to earth and he focuses his wrath on the first thing that he can see, the greatest creation, even greater than he was. 
these people. Humanity created in the image of God. But see, there's a difference between us and God. We don't quite have the same ability that God does. He sees our vulnerability. Look with me in our main text today, Genesis 3, verse 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Pray with me. Father God, we love you this morning. We worship you, Jesus. God, we pray that today you would help us to understand a little bit more about your truth. A little bit more about how incredibly holy and perfect you are and how far we've fallen in sin. God, would you help us to wrap our brains around uh, what you want to teach us today in these texts. Father, I pray that you would lead us to all truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that I might decrease and you would increase in this place and that we would just be drawn closer to you, Lord, knowing you more so that we can be the people of God you want us to be. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. So our message today is on the doctrine of the fall of man. It's on the doctrine of sin. Uh, the theological term is uh, hamartiology. The uh, Greek word for sin is hamartia. And so we're gonna look at what sin is. We're going to look at some of the context. That's what we've been doing. We've been talking about where this comes from. So now that you know a little bit of the backstory of the, uh, the fall of Lucifer from heaven to earth, that we can kind of sort of begin to understand his hatred for us. It helps me to think about it. Just can you imagine? He's part of this perfect place. He gets this idea in his mind and he's cast down and defeated and now he just wants to kill. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says is his mission. From that point on, Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief, the serpent, right? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he wants to do in your life. Because he hates you. And he hates God. That's all he, he's concerned about. That is his mission in life. And so, he, he, he puts his, his gaze on us. I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that uh, we have five different specific aspects of this text. Um, the first is the challenge, right? We see this incredible challenge, this galactic challenge, if you will. Some of you say it's just so fantastic, I can't even hardly wrap my brain around it. Did this really happen? Yes. And you deal with the reality of it even now in your own heart. This did happen. The challenge is in verses one through six where Satan decides he's gonna challenge this image of God that he sees, right? He hates God, he hates us, and when he looks at us, he sees the image of God. 
but we're not all powerful. We're not all knowing, and we're no threat to the enemy. So he wants to kill us, destroy us. So we are his aim. The first challenge that Satan brings to Adam and Eve is he wants to challenge God's word, right? He says, did God actually say, I mean, is that exactly what you heard? Are you sure that's what he meant kind of a thing? And what I think is so interesting about this moment uh, is Eve knew exactly what God said, didn't she? I mean, she didn't even hesitate. She's like, no, I'll, I'll tell you. He said, dot, 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 dot. That's what he said. Which means you can know a lot about God and not obey God. Because in a minute we see that she didn't obey God. She knew exactly what God expected of her life and she didn't obey. Knowledge about God is not enough. We have to obey. So the first challenge is that the enemy challenges God's word. Did you know what? That's exactly what he challenges in our world every single day. Is that really what God means? That's really, I'm not sure that's what it means. That's not sure what, what, what it said. It's different today. Can we trust it, right? The enemy is continuing to use this lie that we can't trust God's word, but we can. Second challenge the enemy brings to Adam and Eve is, can you trust God's character, right? This is what he said, you won't, you'll surely not die. See, God said, you will die. And the enemy said, you won't die. It's the exact opposite. He's saying, God is a liar, is what the enemy is saying to Adam and Eve. That's what this world says to us. You can't trust the Bible, and God is a liar. Right? That's what the world says. We know that is not the case. It's, it's in fact, the exact same thing that he did with Jesus, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, he tempts Jesus, he twists the word of God, he challenges the character and the heart of God. And of course, Jesus defends himself with what? Scripture, with the word. Let me just tell you something about God's word and his character. His word is true. It's right. It leads us to the greatest, best life we can have. Because he created us, he knows what we need in our lives. And if we follow and obey, not just know, follow and obey his word, we can live that life. But the world doubts it, the world wants to challenge it, and the world disobeys it. God's character, it's trustworthy, it's good, it's loving, it's right. He cannot lie, the Bible says. God cannot lie. He cannot tempt us to sin, Deuteronomy 32.4 says, the rock, speaking of God, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's who God is. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He cannot be. And he himself tempts no one. God cannot lie. He cannot tempt. He is only good. He's powerful and he is holy, but he is only good. You can trust his word. You can trust his heart. So at the very moment, by the way, do you notice that when you challenge God's word and you question his heart, it leads you to sinfulness? Every time. 
We begin to go, I just don't know if that's the case. And have you ever heard this? It, God, is that really, a, would a good God dot, dot, dot? How could a good God dot, dot, dot? We challenge his word, we challenge his heart. His word is perfect and his heart is good. We can trust it. But at the very moment they sinned, as soon as they touched that fruit, as soon as they ate a bite of that fruit, something changed. It changed uh, metabolically in their bodies. It changed in the earth. It changed everything. That's the second thing I want you to see is the change, verse 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's such a sad moment for them and for us. Because in that very moment, the purity and innocence that they once lived with in the garden in this beautiful place is gone. It's over. It's not like sin took a while to creep in. Immediately, their purity, their innocence is gone. And now they have become spiritually dead and separated from God. They begin literally to die physically in that moment. Shame enters their hearts Immediately. And in that shame, they want to cover themselves. What God has created now all of a sudden is not good. And they're believing a lie. And they hide from the very God that created them. Friends, everything changed. Every single thing changed. In his book, Mark Driscoll uh, says this in his book, Doctrine. A respect for authority was replaced by rebellion. A clear conscience was replaced by guilt and shame. Blessing was replaced by physical, spiritual, and eternal punishment. Viewing God as a friend to walk with was replaced by viewing him as an enemy to hide from. Trust was replaced by fear. Love was replaced by indifference and even hatred. Intimacy with God was replaced by separation from God. Freedom to obey God was replaced by enslavement to sin. Honesty was replaced with lying and deceit. Self-sacrifice was replaced by self-centeredness. Peace was replaced by restlessness. Responsibility was replaced by blaming and authenticity was replaced by hiding. Everything changed. But it was too late. And now they have to deal with the third thing I want you to see, which is the consequences. Verse 9, look with me. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So then the Lord God says to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Last week, one of the things we talked about is the fact that God, in his image, he created us. And part of his image is this connectedness we have with God. This relational ability that we have to connect with a holy God because of Jesus. And we have this incredible connectedness 
with a man and a woman, your marriage and relationships with one another in community. It's beautiful. It's part of the image of God given to us. And yet in the moment they sinned, it was all broken. Now their relationship with God is broken. It is separated. They no longer want to spend time with God. Used to, they would hear his footsteps and they would run to him to be with God. Can you imagine? To listen to God, to ask questions, to understand, just to be in his presence. And now when they hear him, they're afraid and they retreat and they run away. Full of shame, full of regret, and full of what Adam says, fear. And so all of us share all of those realities as well. So now that the very, the very most intimate relationship that has been created, the man and the woman, the marriage relationship, this beautiful connectedness is now broken. Not just the connectedness with God, that's broken as well. Right? They're dying spiritually, they're dying physically. But the connectedness between man and woman is broken. So instead of Adam, when God shows up and says, did you eat of the tree? He doesn't, he, he, Adam doesn't go, yes, God, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me, I made the mistake. I didn't protect my family. You, you gave me the role to protect my wife, and I was with her, and I didn't fight off a snake. I didn't tell her to not listen to the lies. I didn't tell her, we, we don't question the word of God and the character of his heart. It's my fault. What does Adam do? That woman you gave me, that's the one who did it, right? And God says, what is this thing you've done, Eve? She says, Lord, forgive me, it's my fault. Is that what she said? Nope. She says, it's, it's the serpent, he did it. He, he tempted me and I ate of what he gave me, right? So all of a sudden in the beginning of creation, now we have the blame game. You've never done that in your marriage, have you? The reason we didn't wash the dishes, well, dot, dot, dot. The reason we didn't do this, dot, dot, dot. The reason I'm the way I am is because of dot, dot, dot. Friends, we need to own our stuff. We need to be honest about our sinfulness. We need to understand that only in Jesus do we have forgiveness and hope and help. And let us boast in our weakness and own our brokenness. They face the consequences. They continue to feel more and more consequences of separation from their friend in God and from one another. And then God turns to discipline and he curses these characters. Verses 14 through 19 in the curse. This is the fourth thing I want to show you this morning. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some of your translations, I think is a better one, say he will crush your head. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, 
you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God turns to this disciplinary action, all three of these characters, and he says, to the snake and to the serpent, to Satan. He says, you're done for. <laughs> right? one, one thing that he had done was cast him out of heaven. But in this moment, in chapter three of Genesis, we see the first messianic prophecy given that Jesus will be the offspring of Eve and when he comes as Messiah, he will die on a cross and he won't just bruise the head of Satan, he will crush it. The Bible says that one day Jesus will take Satan and all his demons and cast them into the pit of hell that he created for them. This is Jesus saying to the serpent, to Satan, you're done. You're done. He turns to Eve. He says, I'm going to greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. that wasn't the worst thing. He said, you're going to struggle in your relationship and your marriage. To this day, we see struggle. We see power structures and, and wrestling matches between men and women in marriage, don't we? we? We struggle to see eye to eye. We're so different in so many ways, which was part of God's creation originally, has now been warped. And now we wrestle and we fight against these differences. And only in Jesus, can a redeemed people begin to experience the real creation of God in connectedness and love for one another? I can't imagine not knowing Christ and being married to my wife. Well, the reality is we probably wouldn't be married. We've made a commitment, and it's only in God's goodness and by his grace that we continue to love one another, submit to Jesus and to one another to be who he wants us to be in marriage. And then God says, you know, because, Eve, you chose to lead out in sin and you reached out and you grabbed that fruit first, now you're going to be ruled by your husband. It's part of the curse. It's going to cause division. He turns to Adam and he says, Adam, the very ground you're standing on is going to cause you pain. You're going to work so hard day after day by the sweat of your brow just so that you can stay alive and have something to eat. Before I fed you, you could just reach up. You wouldn't have to get up. You could just reach up to a tree and grab the most wonderful fruit you can imagine. And now you've got to figure out a way to plant it and harvest it on your own. But then he says something about his work. He says his work is cursed. And men, did you know that many of us struggle in our work every day? We find more identity in what we do than who we are. Men. Let me say it again. We find more identity in what we do, how much we make, the title we have, the power we control, right? That's what we do as men because it's part of the curse over our lives. And work is a, is, can be a bad thing for us. Now listen, work was a pre-fall 
gift to us. Work is good. God wants us to work. But when we were cursed, work became an issue and we found our identity and our hope in our work and what we did instead of who we were. Who are we? Sons of the Most High. That's who we are. He is provider. We are not. And ultimately, every one of us will die. One day, every one of us will be returned to the dust from where we came. You ready for some good news this morning? (laughs) Here's the good news. The gospel of Jesus is good news. This is what it is. In spite of their sinfulness, in spite of their brokenness, in spite of what they had done, even though they knew the right thing to do, even though they had walked personally with God in the garden, even though they were sinners, God came to them, right? He came looking for them. He comes to us knowing we're sinful as well. He wants to be with us. The Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, when God showed up that day, he knew they had sinned, okay? It wasn't like God's like, not knowing a thing. You did what, right? God is all-knowing. These were rhetorical questions. Adam, did you, did you ever do that with your kid? Is that room clean? Oh, okay. Right? Adam, did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat of? God already knew. God already knew about the separation. He knew it before he even created the world. That's why it says he gave Jesus to us before the foundations of the world. The lamb was slain before he created anything. He knew, and yet he came. He knew, and yet he came to be with them. He knew, and yet he provided a way for them not to be naked anymore. He covered them by his grace. Look at at, uh, verse 20 and 21. This is the fifth thing. This is the covering. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord made God, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. If you're just reading this sort of in a Bible plan, you might just read this and just kind of pass on. There's so much in all of this that we read this morning, but look at this again, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Friends, by covering Adam and Eve in the middle of their disobedience, God was saying, I'm a loving and gracious and caring father, right? I'm gonna cover You've tried to cover yourself. Uh, it's not completely working there, Adam. It's the, you know, the fig leaves aren't working. I'm going to cover you because I care for you. I love you. In my grace, I'm going to care for you. Also, think about this. How did God get skins? Something had to die. Garden of Eden, there was never death. Ever. There had never been a death, and God sheds the first blood in the Garden of Eden. Why? To cover their nakedness. He kills an animal and takes the skin of that animal to cover their nakedness. Do you see it? 
We miss it so often, but do you see the foreshadowing? God is covering the sinfulness, the brokenness, the nakedness of Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal. He shed blood as a foreshadowing of what he would do with Jesus. A broken and sinful people is who we are, and he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sacrificed his own son to bleed and die for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to die eternally. This was a foreshadowing all the way at the beginning. This is the context of the theology, of the doctrine of the fall of man, of sin. Now, if we want to get a little more complex, there's a theological word for what happened. It's called imputation. What it means is when Adam sinned, what happened is it didn't just affect Adam. It affected Eve. It affected their children, their children's children. A better word to think about it is like cancer. It didn't just affect humanity, it infected humanity. And we all have it, and it's terminal. We're all dying from it eternally. We are all dying and going to hell. Everyone. Because we are sinful people. Adam imputed to us his sinfulness. But the good news about imputation is it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Because when Jesus hung on a cross and he gave his life for us, he made a way for everyone who would believe to know him, to be covered by his blood, to be forgiven. He imputed his righteousness to us. It's exactly what 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. Yes, we're infected. Yes, we're affected. Yes, we're dying apart from Christ. But if we believe today, if we believe, if we ask God to forgive us of our sins and change us, Christ's righteousness is given to us. Friends, we're all sinful apart from Christ. The Bible tells us in, in Psalm 51, we're conceived in sin. Even in conception, we're sinful. Psalm 58 says when we are born, we speak lies. <laughs> Ephesians 2.3 says we're all children of wrath. And Romans 3.23 says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. But we don't have to stay that way. You don't have to live that way. Right now, look at me, everyone. Right now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't have to stay that way one more minute. You can say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you give me hope? Would you give me life? Forgive me, I've been a sinner. You own the stuff that Adam and Eve couldn't own. God, forgive me and give me Jesus. Cover my sinfulness by your grace because I can't earn it. I need it. And as you pray that prayer and you believe in your heart, 
God changes everything. He changes everything in your life. He changes everything about who you are. And I pray with all my heart that you will listen to that and you will make that choice today. Friends, let me tell you something. I wouldn't be truthful if I didn't tell you that, yes, there's a way out. But if you make the choice to stay in sinfulness, if you choose this morning, no, I'm going to do my way, right? It's the same thing Adam and Eve did. Jesus said, Lord, your will, not mine. But in sinfulness, we say, Lord, my will, all mine. And if you choose to say, God, I want to do what I want to do. I'm just going to keep going my way. I'm not concerned about you. I want you to know God is going to punish sin. Matthew 25 says God punishes sin and he sends people who are sinning, sinners, not covered by the blood of Jesus. He sends them to hell. He created hell for Satan and his angels. He, he didn't, the Bible says he didn't create hell for people. And yet if that's what you want, he loves you enough to give you the free choice to go there if that's what you want. But if you don't know Christ today, would you please choose Jesus? If you're watching online right now on Facebook or some other place on our site, would you choose Jesus? Don't go your own way. You don't have to. Let God restore all that the enemy has stolen from your life. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, are you living in that freedom? Are you living in that joy? Are you living in that responsibility of what you've done and yet the covering of Jesus and the joy of knowing that he's covered it all, yet walking with a desire to serve him and follow him and believe in him and trust him. That's our hope today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, thank you for your word. We know it is true and we trust it. God, thank you for your character because you are a loving and kind and providing God and you show us that even in this passage in Genesis, Lord, you provided even when they were in sin, even when they were now separated from you, you sacrificed for them and Lord, you do it for us. There may be people in this room today that are living in sinful uh, situations, walked away from you, People online who don't know you, God, by your grace, would you draw them? Father, draw them, please, to know the truth of your word, to know that we don't have to stay separated. We don't have to stay, stay children of wrath. We don't have to continue to speak lies. God, we can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's not in what we do. It's only in what he's done for us. And God, if we know you, may we live like the redeemed you've made us and be about the mission you've given us, to have life and life abundantly and to make you known and to live this life you've created for us. God, I pray that now as we turn to friends and new friends on these tables, we would ask some good questions and have some good conversations that would honor you and draw us to knowing you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, this is what we're gonna do. If you will, turn your chairs around to the table you're sitting at. If, you only, if you're only one person or two, find another table where you can have some good conversations. There's questions on the table. Hopefully there's a table leader that will take charge and work through those questions and help you ask some good questions and have some conversation. We're going to do this about 15 minutes, and we'll be back.
Howdy.